Welcome back to Gear and Beer. Today, my esteemed guest is Chris Rodriguez, New York City, my man. What What's your borough? The Bronx. The Bronx. Born in Manhattan. Yeah, that's as New York as it gets. Pretty much. The Bronx yeah. and Manhattan. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming, dude. Appreciate thank you, it. brother. Um, Appreciate. It. You know, I we're we're working this out, London and I, and. Uh, I'm just lucky to have dudes like you and Boo and our other guests come and talk to me. So you you brought your some of your rig. You brought your small rig. You said you left your big studio board at the house. I did, but uh, this is this uh, is not small. By this is my club rig, and now my uh, church rig. Okay, yeah, one and the same. Only because over here is the volume pedal overdrive and. A bags di for acoustic so it, sure. it just sort of patches into the front of the main signal stuff so <laughs> i say it's small but you know when i carry it in on sundays it ain't small you know. no totally but i mean yeah. uh small is it's all it's all relative if that's the small one it's the small one yeah no matter what size it actually is it's sort of the most <laughs> basic that i have now uh out of three boards Okay. For for overall flavor and then acoustic, you know, you know, I can roll over and just have that ready. Well, and that's that's definitely a cool setup, especially since you've got that the bags di on there. But so do, you, do so you, it sees no signal processing from the bags. Okay. So it's an XLR from the house. Um, so it's just separate. It's just like physically on this piece. Yeah, of the but I brought this rig to sessions and used it for like gut string so i'll okay. bring another uh pedal board for electric but this will be the rig for any sort of treated gut string stuff yeah yeah um just because i can hit the bags run it through this uh pedal board and get any ambience from this m you know m13 sure sure you all the all the verbs and any, yeah and any I, modulation or anything i go lightly with it because i know they're going to take it somewhere else totally. but just an, you know to get it to tape right 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 so this has become like a, a go-to direct acoustic thing but uh for smaller club gigs and like church this is great i got everything i need yeah so in the in the m13 are you what are you are you using overdrives from there or are you do no. using the the guthrie and the the vs yeah the uh, so far on this rig the overdrives are the guthrie trap the visual sound vs xo and the freedman and the oh, freedman i didn't even notice that yeah and the freedman it's weird because for some reason i ran out of space here so i put the freedman pre uh truth be told i should just reverse these um, oh, the volume and the... Yeah, and put the Friedman after. But for some reason, uh, it was sort of the evolution of this thing. Well, <laughs> I had, the, the, the Friedman pedal is basically like a plexi pedal, right? It's really good, yeah. So it's just, you can essentially run it as a, an amp model if you if you wanted to into your M13. Yeah. And that way you could control your breakup. Yeah, I've used it at super low gain. And this pedal is like really an animal so like the presets from the uh company are really set up hot but you can go there uh go into the back with like you know a straight head screwdriver and 
back There's the, switches back the governor as it will oh, okay. and, and so because when I first got it I went oh this doesn't sound anything like I did a session with Jerry McPherson I'm like what is that and uh, it's it was the Freedman so uh, you know a couple of weeks later I was in LA and I went straight to Guitar Center and bought one and then tried it at uh, rehearsal with Loggins and it was way uh, too gained up and then I called Jerry he goes yeah just go into the back and <laughs> you gotta take the housing off to get to it no or? just take the back plate off oh, and, then, plate and there, there's like a slot for a straight head and you can just go season a taste interesting yeah so that pedal is what I'm saying is it does so much That's if you really wanted to like go crazy on the front end of a super clean app great um, if you want to back it up and you know hit it midway yeah yeah Great pedal. Interesting, man. Yeah. Uh, well, so, I tell you what, play that. Can we hear it? Well, yeah. I mean, we set all this um, crap up, right? <laughs> I mean, here's totally dry, but that's just you know, the pedal, right? Yeah, that's just the pedal, and I, I mean, do we want it? That's like really tight cabinet. I can open up the cab and bring up the gain, and this is direct. Let me. uh let me bring the bass down. Get it brighter. Because it gets fuzzy. Yeah, and that's because cool. the gain. Like, really, if I wanted to, like, it's still super. Hold on. Now you make it tight. Well, I guess, and we actually are. We're, we're still hearing it through this the pro reverb over here, so it's not like we're getting it unadulterated. Right, so, so check it out. I'll, I'll this is like the gain is almost off, and... That's a tighter thing. That sounds, that sounds cool. And then you can open it up. But you're right, That's we cool. would not be hearing... Yeah, yeah, because we're getting front end of this. If we were hearing a microphone, it'd be another thing. Yeah. And so, you know, it really depends. You know, this whole rig depends on what I'm hitting, you know. At church, it's a Princeton. Oh, okay. Actually, I forgot to bring... It should have been right here, but it's... But at a club gig, I'm hitting uh, a 50-watt Category 5 combo. So, all of a sudden, I'm, like, really messing with... Level and gain so on that, all these pedals. That Cat Five, uh, shout out to Don Ritter. That Cat Five is the old Don. What 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 circuit is it supposed to be? Is it a is it a proprietary like a, not proprietary but like a, a Category Five's own thing or is it a modeled? It's it's their own thing, but it, like the one. So I have two. Uh, my the first rig I started using with Keith Urban was 250 watt stacks uh, 250 watt heads called Allens with two stand up 212 caps so if you looked at the caps you'd, you'd think they were 412s but uh, okay. 212s yeah that's cool Yeah, uh, and they had Neos so super cool Yeah, good breakup um, 50 watt fender heads with a with a a second section that kind of got you into plexi territory. Okay, I say usually a Marshall thing. Yeah, 
Uh, but I seldom used one or the other. Like live, I would always get the best clean sound out of you know out of the clean channel and just hit it with whatever you know pedals. Sure, sure. I was using. Um, although, like in the studio, I'll use the dirty channel. Sure. But for live, I prefer to hit you know. Well, yeah, you know, you you switch to that second channel, and often it it comes with. It comes with like uh, volume situations. At least in my experience, second channels, even though often built for breakup, or you know, like you got your you got your clean channel, you got your dirty channel. I can still never get the dirty channel to sound like I want a dirty channel to sound without making it lo- so much louder. Typically, at least in my experience, than the clean channel. Does I, that? I mean, I love it, and. I've had situations on tour when I, you know, when I've had the best of both, but preferably in a low maintenance situation, I'd like to hit clean amps with pedals, especially modulation and, um, you know, time-based stuff, because when it's hitting the dirt, yeah, it just sounds weird on the front end, you know, it just, it's too much. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, the one time I really had the best of both worlds uh, was Kelly Clarkson, and I took out two fifty watt stacks for clean left and right for stereo imaging, and then any time there was power, it was a Marshall head, no effects, direct into a boogie, two twelve cab, and I'd hit that on the choruses of every song. Oh. So like you'd hear all this sort of spacey ambient stuff on the verses. B sections, but when it when it came time to like lay it down for the chorus, mono Switch crunch, over. yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, that was sort of like you know whatever the Eric Johnson rig, you know that yeah. that thing, you know. Um, that was the one time. That's a great sound. It's it's great. And with Kelly, I had the crew and the you know every all the perks, <laughs> totally. You know to make it happen. Yeah. I did with Keith as well, but with Keith I ran stereo, but I I ran. Just like pedal platform. I ran way. mono heads that would go uh, into a, a stereo environment in the pedal board okay. and out to um, the cabinets. So you're uh, like were, running in an effects loop, basically? No, they were... Hold on. Yeah, I had... No, I had this thing called a head rush, which was basically like a Bradshaw amp head mm-hmm. switcher. Oh, okay. No, so I wasn't... I'm sorry. I wasn't running stereo. Uh, th- at one time with Keith, I was running three heads mono into a basket weave 412 Marshall that he had. Oh. But he had real efficient uh, speakers in there, like EB12Ls. So that was a different rig. Yeah, yeah. With Kelly, With Kelly, it was like stereo and then mono for choruses. With Keith... I was mono, but I had multiple amp heads feeding one 412 basket ba- basket weave Marshall cab with EV12Ls, which were really efficient. So, like, whatever I fed into it sounded great. Like, you didn't get a speaker, you know, coloration like right. you would with a... Yeah, because they're... they're I, uh, I don't know what those are rated at, but they're... 100 watts. I'd say at least 100 watts. Think about a Marshall 412 with four... 1200 watt rated speakers it's so not marshall 
Yeah, actually, I, I just can't even. I can't picture that. I want to hear that. I but was, it was an old '60s basket weave or early '70s, and wait, '60s basket weave with four 12 EVLs. It was the strangest thing because you know Keith was running, you know, Bad Cats, Matchless. Those are 50 watt. You know, the speakers are. Which, which uh, do you know which Matchless he was playing at that time? Yeah, I know, I know we tracked a lot of that uh, stuff from that era on the. It was the right ZC30. before I joined, oh, okay. but he had that. This one, yeah, he had two DC thirties. Um, by the time I joined, he was on Bad Cats, and but which are just very similar circuits. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure they had some kind of Bradshaw rig for him early on. So he had the Bad Cats, but he also had. The first tour I did with him, he had a Fender Baseman, and he was on that. Like fifty-seven, thirty percent of the show, fifty-nine. Yeah, blackface. So at least mid sixties. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he went to that a lot, yeah. especially if, if he was on his. I've never tel- really heard that in his play, but I, I've only seen him live a few times, and I don't think I saw him in that era. No, I think if he was on his tellies, and even Les Paul Juniors, yeah. He'd be on those LP juniors through that basement. Interesting. Uh, but, you know, he was twiddling it. I'm just you know. learning all the time. He was twiddling every night. There well, was that's a diff- awesome. Yeah, there was like different amps. Eventually, he went to the 65s, which we all did, uh, which I still have mine, which is a slightly high-powered AC30. It's a 35-watt AC30 oh, okay. circuit with some... Is that, is and there's so there's, it's sixty five amps. Sixty five amps. Is there another one called like Pure sixty five? Different company, I think. Right, but yeah. am I crazy? I haven't heard of them. Okay. Yeah, sixty five was. Um, Lateri uh, was playing one for a minute. Really? It was called a Pure something. Uh, you may have to unhook from my ox, but Pure sixty five. Internet and see if you can find out about sixty five has a cool old logo. Um, Peter Stroud with um, um, Cheryl Crow. You know, he partnered. And uh, great company, super good circuit. Um, low powered, didn't get much over, you know, 50 watts. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think I, I don't have any. Well, I guess that twin is over 50 watts. But oddly enough, that twin is like half the volume of the Pro. Not weird. I don't understand it. Someone explain that. Justin Wait, Butler's going to be on the podcast. Do you own a low power explain. twin? Explain to me which internet I should hook up to. Oh, CDZ, <laughs> ATT CDZ. Got you. Got you. Something like that. Clapton plays those low power twins. Those forty watt. Tell me the the name of that amp one more time. I, th- I want to say it's like maybe it's Pure sixty four. Pure. I feel like I'm taking crazy amps. pills. Pure 64 amps. Okay, so there's 65 amps, and then Lotary for a minute was playing pure 64, and uh, yeah, out of uh, out of New York. And I I loved. I, I don't think I've ever heard a 65, but I, that I say I, I confused those. Uh, got a Mean Street 6L6. Interesting. So yeah. the. 65s were like the sound of Keith Urban's rig from like 2006, 2007. And 
and going back into 2008, I think he he switched back to Marshalls. Yeah, he had Marshall. I would switch all the time if I was Keith Urban. Yeah, he had Marshall <laughs> JCM 800s for a long time, like, and he picked them because he felt they had the best clean sound. Interesting. Yeah, the all that headroom in a JCM 800. I've never played a JCM through a decent cabinet. I've only played them through those uh, cabinets that, that that in the early 2000s that came loaded with those. Well, there's those Celestian speakers that uh, the G12 uh, T T75s or something. They're like metal metal dude speakers, like made for like high breakup. They're real scoopy and like bright from all the assumed overdrive, I guess. And I yeah. I could never G12 T75s. Say it again. G12 C, uh, T75. T7, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those. Uh, that's what was in this when I when I got it. And, um. I don't even think there's actually any speakers in there right now. I'm going to edit that out. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but so I, long story short, I've never played in a JCM, a good one through any kind of a real cabinet. So I I don't, I don't know what they're capable of. Well, with, uh, with the telly or a Les Paul Jr. cranked up, Pardon me. Allergies. Um, I'm I'm, I'm not editing that out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Through whatever rig he was using in 2007, Bradshaw, and I'm pretty sure it ran the gamut of Line 6 pedals and Klon Centaurs. You know, that was... The Klons were, like, really starting to go through the roof. But, I mean, interesting, a guy with single coils, tellies, and... Les Paul Jr.'s P90s hitting a JCM 800 totally made sense. Interesting. Yeah. It it just like it was the sound and is the sound of country music but like it just made country more arena rock and a little more you know ACDC. Yeah. I, you know he was kind of like, it's like a It's j- like a mid it's like a moving towards mids that uh, a shape of mids that makes sense in a giant room so in a giant through. room yeah. it speaks large it wasn't it wasn't a telecaster with a dynacamp a dynacomp hitting you know any kind of anything from a fender deluxe to a you know pv bandit or whatever across the years like it was a different thing it was very jeff beck jimmy page clapton richie blackmore david gilmore classic rock oriented approach but still with all the chicken picking. Right, right. Insane. You know, like, that's the first guy I heard play that sort of Albert Lee kind of style, but, like, through a really revved up 100-watt amp. That's crazy, man. (laughs) And and he had Wem cabs for a while, so it really got even more Gilmore. I don't even know what those are. Wem cabs are sort of these 412 cabs that, like, Pete Townsend and Gilmore used. Late sixties, early seventies. Okay. Super high end, yeah. you know, cabs of the day. Right. Okay. For I uh, can't believe I've never heard of that. Yeah. I've been doing this for a few years. Well, oh, wow. for two hundred watt cab. At one. Oh wow. Yeah. At one point, he had two hundred watt British made late sixties high watts. So mm-hmm. high watt, hundred watt heads, 
essentially marshals that can burn but never get saturated. These amps are the ultimate pedal platform. They're the loudest it can get, but love pedals. But he had these 412 WEM cabs, and somehow the speaker uh, cones... Is the high watt uh, uh, an original circuit, or is it a Marshall circuit? No, high watt is original circuit, and okay. they were like huge competition, Jim Marshall. Well, I know, I know I've heard and seen so many of them. I just, I uh, forgive me, listeners and Mr. Rodriguez, I did not do my research <laughs> on... Uh, the origin of British amplification. So, well, so like Vox is sort of like the, you know, the early British invasion. Great. Yeah, what, do, what do they call the old ones? Like can, candy, candy bot, candy paint, or candy something? Candy. Uh, the mauve colored ones, which I guess John Lennon had a few, um, and the classic, you know, black with the brown and gold, you know, laced. Yeah. yeah. Um, the diamond. Yeah, and I guess the next British company would have been Marshall because John Mayles, Blues Breakers, 65, 66. That's the next thing is the Marshall. But then shortly thereafter, or actually maybe probably right at the same time, High Watt was launched um, in a different city. Marshall was definitely London. Um so there's high watt and later orange, yeah, you know, yeah. uh-huh. and tons. Was orange 60s too, or were they 70s? 60s going into the 70s, yeah. But those are like the classic flavors coming from that side of the pond, you know. That's um, a huge dark spot in my knowledge of amps, and which is stupid because I play, I prefer British-style amps typically, and I know nothing about them. I think the story I heard is Hendrix was so like into brown face, f- black face fenders, probably silver face as well. He was used to six L six clean power. That when he got to England, he actually asked Jim Marshall to like change the tubes on the power section and make them a little more forgiving. At first, when he first got to England, because he was so used to playing. Fender basements, and then he was like, "No, give me that." Which the Marshall thing is based on a Fender, ba- on a Fender right. basement. But like soon, very soon, quickly they got way into like all the other stuff, cranking up the governor. You know, for today. What was yeah. the predecessor? The was it JTM? The JTM uh, is forty five. Is like John Mills Blues Breakers. Yeah, yeah, like that. That first Clapton Les Paul through a Marshall Ultimate incredible yeah but it's it's funny because right at that time hendrix is probably touring in the states with king curtis and the mm-hmm. isley brothers so yeah. he's still playing a lot of curtis mayfield you know clean rhythm so he's like he's still into like fender bassman yeah. kind of amps and when he first got to england of course they're sat you know, hitting him with pedals left and right so every day is changing but when he first gets to England, he's like, I need these amps to be a little more silky, you know, like, <laughs> for what I do. Which is, not that great? So, so the, would a JTM be the closest thing to the basement that Marshall made? I think up to that point, you yeah. know, like, he took that circuit and figured out how to make it 
a tad more saturated, yeah. a tad darker when you saturate, so it's not so you know. Yeah, ice brittle. get the ice pick thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that circuit, and I, I, but I also kind of think it had to do with Clapton probably going right here to the tone knob, and he's. I think he's intuitively tuning out all that unwanted high end, um, the woman tone, you know, that he eventually. That's the signature, you know. But I, 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 uh, I like all that brightness, or I at least want to have it at the beginning to get rid of because sometimes it. So sometimes like it's too much, but oftentimes, especially in rooms, like dead rooms full of bodies or any time that you're in a scenario where you have to baffle, like do, do the things that you have to do sometimes in live situations that are like high end sucks. I want to be. I, I want to not have to. I'd rather roll it off most of the time and have it the one time I need it. And I just maybe it's just because I've built my whole rig, like my my versatile. I can do any get any gig with this rig based on that. The matchless and like the like you, the the third power Princeton thing that I'm playing. But I, I don't I can't do that with the pro reverb. In order for that pro reverb that you're that you know you're playing through right now, in order for me to get it where I like can comfortably play, like the way it from a like the way it feels, it's it's too loud to play inside of anywhere, <laughs> anywhere that's that's not uh you know thousand person venue or more. So that so it, means it's good. Well, no, it's good. It's good. It is good. I just, I don't want to get fired. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, age-old curse for us. No doubt. I mean, it's like, that's the evolution of the rig. For me, it's like, these days, it's like, what's the most tone I can get out of a Fender Deluxe that's set up on three? I mean, based on my... It's a different rig than you would build for another scenario, I would think. It's it's a different thing, you know. that That's my rig with... Uh, last rig with Peter Cetera. And, with the deluxe? Yeah, but we're talking a big band. We're talking seven pieces, two guitars, two keys, bass drums, you know, the whole the whole thing. So, so two, de- two deluxes takes up a lot of range. Mm-hmm. That's more than enough guitar for that environment you know so my hunt every night was to try to recreate the sounds of lukather landau uh, the late terry cow that should be no problem yeah (laughs) you know i'm i'm recreating 50 years of recorded guitar through a deluxe so i tell you you what i'm gonna throw it to break real quick we're going to stop down for some of our favorite sponsors. Stay tuned for these messages. We'll be right back with Chris Rodriguez. Thank you, Norelco. <laughs> <laughs>
Want to take your home cooking to the next level? Need new recipe ideas or meal inspiration? Like, follow, and subscribe to Bobby Jam's Kitchen on YouTube and Instagram. At Bobby Jam's Kitchen, cook your food and eat it. Oh, man. That just sounded great in my ears. Sounds great acoustically. You know what? It's Just a, for grins, it needs, I'm going to bring it back ten, up. But do you usually keep it in standard? Uh, yes, I usually do. Um, well, ask me a question while I tune us up to standard. Okay, so we had just uh, dipped our toe into the Peter Cetera waters. Um, we were talking about your rigs for... Uh, we, we talked about the Keith rig. We talked about... Uh, we talked about the multiple iterations of the Keith rig. Um, we we talked about the the Kelly rig briefly, and we had, you had just started talking about what you're running for for the Peter rig. Well, that you know the Peter rig. Before we threw it to break, <laughs> thanks to all of our sponsors. Welcome back to Gear and Beer. Thank you, Lynn, the before sati- time thirteen. <laughs> With the Satara gig, it was always two electric players, and when I first got there... And Bruce, two keys, right? Two keys. That's a lot of the similar sonic... Bass drums, occupation. background vocals, at least four extra singers in the band besides Peter, so quite a few of the instrumentalists are, you know, doubling up on VGBs. Presumably you were singing in that. Yeah, and, and so if one and of the keys... You, you sing in everything that you've done? Uh, all I mean, the, they would be mistaken if they didn't have you singing. But no, I sang throughout the show, and it was like big hits, a couple of a couple of B sides. But like with you were him, always singing in the Kenny stuff, the 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 Kenny Loggins and Friends, and the Michael McDonald and Friends. Or, or, no, it was the Kenny Loggins and Friends, or what? Did, you were on that some DVD that I saw. Yeah, it was outside from the Redwoods. With my hair down to here. No, not the one that I saw. So that might have been the one from like three years ago that he did. He did it for. Yeah, uh, yeah. This was recently. Yeah, soundstage like up TV in Chicago. Soundstage, yeah. is that what it was? Well, originally it was done for PBS, but yeah, it eventually went to Axis. Yeah. Okay. Well, I definitely saw that. And yeah. That whole show was murdering. Murdering. <laughs> yeah. Man, I don't know how old Kenny Loggins is, but uh, props to him for being it. Taking care of himself and still being able to sing like no, that. he's he's that's him and Michael McDonald have very rare abilities. He's still hitting this. That's Roxanne. You know that's Steve Perry's greatest notes. Above here, you're freakish anyway. But like that's crazy, man. You know. Uh, anyway, I digress. We were talking Josie's about it. You know that yeah. guy. That's a B, and you, you you hear that, and you're like, well, that that's unbelievable, you know. I don't have that. Note. That pure tenor, yeah. I can sing uh, higher than a lot of people, but I, can, I don't have that note. I also have all of my falsetto. I used to have, a, like, another two octaves on what I have now. I think I have 
three and a half octaves. And I used to have another two and a half a falsetto that at like 22 completely disappeared and I never got it back. I never got any of it back. You can. I I need to consult like someone who's very expensive probably to And you don't have allergies like I do and I can still do it. I don't have allergies except for when we were at the guitar show two weeks ago and (laughs) I honestly like can't remember the last time I sneezed that many times. Oh yeah. I sneezed twice earlier and I was like, oh no. I got the get I'm allergic to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in <laughs> allergy meds for a month now. It's just been like day and night. Yeah. yeah. Well we'll talk after this about how for to sure. fix my voice. But thank you, Walgreens. So you're what tell us again, reset, if you will, for a radio term. Um this is not radio, but what you were playing on the Peter Cetera gig for the most part. And if you would maybe uh what what size rooms were you doing with Peter? Well, interestingly enough, it wasn't this board, but I love this SKB board that has a canvas bag. The size of it was perfect to fit in my big luggage with my show clothes and you know my Levi's and yeah. whatever, and keep the bag under fifty. So I started hunting for the best rig that I could get in my bag of luggage because I knew when I got to town I had to meet a you know a Fender Deluxe that I didn't know. That's right. You said you were running two of those? Well, not for me. Oh, okay. Two, two guys on guitars. Oh, I see. But each of us had a Fender Deluxe. I see. So it's not two Deluxes each. Gotcha. It's two it, total Deluxes. Yeah. Two Deluxes mono. Which makes a huge, humongous noise in the house. You would not believe it. I mean, it was like, it could get Zeppelin big, no problem. That's crazy. We had two deluxes. But um, Tony had like, um, Tony Abrada had a smaller rig, same thing. Even less real estate, you know, because I'm carrying this thing now, Mm -hmm. you know, for the acoustic DI. But generally, it was right in here. Is that just a a piece of... Is that a board that you put together, like a literal board? Yeah, my brother had this little slab of, you know, two-by-four that he fashioned off into... Real sturdy looking. Yeah, and uh, the kind of thing where I could get three pedals, you know. I knew I wanted a volume pedal. I I needed a little more real estate than I had in this board. Yeah, yeah. And so I I just kind of created, you know, a little satellite board that would have volume and, you know, another uh, DI channel for acoustic but in front of the volume i put the friedman just by accident and kept it that way so this is like even a a club board and uh with gene miller i do a gene uh i'm sorry uh james taylor tribute show with gene miller yeah so i have this sort of auto volume so i can like kind of a thing and um that's cool. So, uh, yeah, I need more signal. That kind of a thing. Now that that guitar is kind of low output, actually. But it, it actually suits that kind of stuff. You know, you it want, tracks very well with effects. You know, sure. you know, you want that clean and more headroom, louder. Uh, so, uh, hit me with that again. Oh yeah. Um, 
Sorry. This is the M13 auto volume swell. Yeah. Okay. So I use I use that setting uh, with Gene Live for uh, if the pedal steel player can't make it. I'm half the night. I'm like doing Mike Landau rhythm or like Waddy Wachtel. Uh But I'm also trying to be a pedal steel guy throughout the night. Yeah. As much as I can uh, to recreate that you know early '70s Lower Canyon. You totally. know the Neil Young, Joni that period of James Taylor stuff. Laurel Canyon, say no more. Yeah. So, um, so this pedal board does it for me because I, you know, do I want longer, you know, delays? I got them. But if I want verb, I got it. If I want modulation. So I'm all, you know, between all of that and... But not, not only do you have it, but uh, for, for the most part, at least... I feel like there was something, and I don't know if that's been documented, but I like when they first started making these, I don't feel like some of the effects like made the grade, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they started, and I don't know if there was a specific like hardware or software or like algorithm it, change. It was particularly the so the M13, M9, M5. Um, those all came out around the same time and they had, uh, specifically the, uh, obviously there was no IR, so there's no cab sim, there's no, there's no real amp modeling going on in those. No, this one survived the Nashville flood. So this one died for three months. This particular one. Came back to life? Yeah. It's a big bag of rice. It went dead in May. And uh, Joe Glazer repaired my Les Paul Jr. Uh, Deluxe, sorry. And, um, and, and then as far as my electronics, he said, you know, stick it in a bag of rice. It may come back to life. Uh, he knew it would work on the guitars. Yeah. You know. So I turned this thing on like in October for the first time. This past October? No. Oh, the five, October twenty five months or, after yeah. the May ten. Oh, the, the so May twenty ten flood. Okay. Yeah, back to life. And I'm back, man. Yeah. And I've been using it ever since. It's it really is the Swiss Army knife of Swiss Army. There's knives, no right? there's no degradation. There's nothing different. Yeah. Occasionally the uh, window will like li- a little flutter and i'm like you know what for as long as i have it it's unbelievable it's just it sounds great now on on my big pedal board that i use for sessions i've got the newer m13 that's got all the stuff mm-hmm. uh but i love this one for just you know if if i'm turning on more than delay modulation and reverb on top of my chain i'm using too much stuff and and on your pedal board you have the, you're covering the things that the M13, that, that whole line, the M line, didn't do well, which is drive, right? Like yeah, the drives totally. on those... No, I'm you, not using the drives at all in the M13. Right. The drives are... Uh, but I, there are a few from the M13 that I do like. Like, I like their Chandler, you know, and their mm-hmm. uh, their Proco Rat gets really close. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends what tube amp you had, yeah. you're hitting. You know, whatever... Whatever you're hitting matters. I was always Definitely. I was always able to make great music. 
yeah. out of these boxes. But I did not. I I did eschew the use of overdrives from the M13 early on. I kept the overdrives over here right. and use this for modulation and time based yeah. effects yeah. or filters or you man know. the um, the synths on that. The synths, the synths and are the bass great. Octaver, yeah, it, those are the, two of the best. Bass octaver I use others. all the time. I'll yeah. use it as a preliminary bass part if I'm tracking a part. Like, okay, I want the bass to do this. Yeah, and maybe I'll keep it later. You know, but um, they're fantastic. Yeah, I, I, you know, my other board has a Strymon and you know bigger flavors and everything. So I dig that. But for Swiss Army knife and without a lot of extra bells and whistles i love bringing this rig it totally makes sense that yeah. it's that it's on there and if you're in a six or seven piece band live the more inside you get with the effects the more it sounds weird so it's it's cooler to keep it more you know guitar sound yeah you know um you maybe you use the modulation for a four bar section of the pre-chorus or yeah. whatever but like not, you're not going to live on it. Yeah. So and, uh, one of one of the questions that uh, when we took a break, I was saying that I uh, kind of had said I had a million questions is um, just pick one, London. It definitely is just going to be one because I feel like we could talk about all of them for an hour. We could. Um, That's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Gear and Beer. <laughs> How like is the M13 there because? you have to have that many presets like you have to have that many things going um at your current gig so like the the last gig you said you played uh blood sweat and tears right yeah like is this what you you're going to take on the road with that i did bring this i didn't have this extension piece that has the acoustic stuff mm -hmm. i had this skb size which is basically two and a half feet long by 15 15 inches yeah and uh, and what occupies most of the space is an M13. Two-thirds of the space is the M13. And the other uh, is basically a couple overdrives, a tuner, and a big one spot. But the M... Pardon me. The M13 will cover delays, modulation, univibe, ring modulation, all, all the flavors, and um, long delays spring verbs were you using a lot of stuff like that on blood sweat and tears or were you basically maybe just reverb maybe slap back maybe a no, maybe delay were i you, used maybe trim even trim do you use anything like with that? with blood sweat and tears i used overdrives and maybe i used trim from here uh i if i used any delay verb or something maybe yeah if i used any delay i would keep it to about I swear about 100 milliseconds and then really mix it kind of more dry so it's like yeah. a, just a, a really good bit of wetness yeah just enough slap to make the initial note a little fatter but uh it wouldn't have been appropriate to put a delay uh you know yeah. echoplexes were not how many pieces was that man traveling with back in the day man no, that was with you with you oh 10 guys it's a it lot of dudes making sounds it, check it out one time it, so it was keyboards bass drums two guitars four horns two trumpets sax bone and the sax would vary from tenor alto even to soprano 
depending on what the book was saying. Probably. Right. And those guys played too. the book. I was saying, like, you, everybody on that on that gig is you're reading out of a book. There's a, a, a book. A serious ass. You book can't too. play that that uh, orchestration of "And When I Die" without that book. Those those chord spreads are like, you know. James Nazareth. I mean, it's just like all of it is like scripted into the song. It's just beautiful, you know. You're basically you're basically reading uh, a all music musical. You're re- you're reading just a script essentially. Yeah, but it's like the combo of jazz and blues. So it's like that their version of uh, it's like it's like a musical except for like. Uh, way harder. <laughs> Their version of God Bless the Child is like prepare to read, you know, with all the dynamics and all the different levels of overdrive you're going to need. I tell you what, it makes me just like giddy like a, a school <laughs> child thinking about a band of pros going around reading super hard stuff out of a book like that. Like, who else is doing that? Is anybody other than Blood, Sweat, and Tears doing something like that? Oh, I think there's maybe maybe like like legend jazz acts. Yeah, but legend and I would say legend jazz acts with non-original members. There was there was heavy heavy reading involved. I, I guess it would probably be any of those. Maybe not acts so with... much for the guitar players, though. There was a ton of reading for guitar, like dot reading. Oh, insane! But. Including the rhythm, the rhythm guitar parts, <laughs> the rhythm guitar parts were notated verbatim from even the guy that Steve Katz had played the original parts in '68 and '69. Those parts are dictated verbatim. Now later on, they had like they had Joe Henderson was in their band for no, real for six months. Really, Joe Henderson was in their band for at least six months. So Joe. They, That's super dope. No, Jocko played bass for them. Mike Stern was in that band. Wow. So that band was like... I have no idea. Yeah, they were a lab band for jazz and jazz fusion. That's a heavy band, man. Yeah, they, they've, <laughs> they literally had a list of at least 200 players, 250 players that have cycled through that um, brand, you know, crazy, for the yeah. last 50 years. Yeah, like... Mike's, How many original members remain? Mike Stern was in there on, I think it was on Jocko's recommendation. I think Jocko got Mike Stern on. And that's how they got, like, you know, tight. And, yeah. So they've had heavy hitters through that band. And they've covered throughout, even, like, right after they started having all their hits, they were covering Maiden Voyage and, like, um, all these standards, yeah. you know, um, on their on their pop records like you know every pop record even throughout the 70s had like a mega thing like something like, stretchy like spain will. or something yeah. just insane you know that's crazy Wild. yeah great they always had great readers they were always great arrangers and the records that they had all the top five hits were pff, incredible arrangements yeah like classical music Kind of Man, I wonder if I wonder if Joe Henderson arranged any of the horn parts. While he I was wouldn't the doubt it, and I wish I could say show. the name of the album that he was involved. It was yeah. it was definitely around seventy three, and I, I feel like David Clayton Thomas, who sang all the hits, uh, had left, 
and they were in this other interim period that was really cool and super groovy like everybody in the you know hip hop community yeah probably be sampling these records for like these two bars you know? you know it's it's wild we we all forget that those dudes had to work too and not that that's just an office job to them obviously that's an amazing gig but you think about Joe Henderson like you know Serenity and Punjab what we were just talking about like it's a far stretch from Blood Sweat and Tears but that mu- that community's related in the same way that you know guys who are playing heavy jazz gigs are also I mean who did Tim LaFave play with for a little while that was like Rescue Trucks uh, yeah, exactly. Right. You know. right. Jay Jennings with Toby Keith. Yeah, right, right. I, mean, that's, I think that's, it's, that's I think it's how Schofield there. has become such a, you know, uh, a name to a lot of people. Is yeah. that He's played so many jam band gigs that... That Agogo record put him in a different category. And like the Modesky, Martin, and Wood thing. Yeah. And the, like it, 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 getting on those stages uh, with like the the fish and string cheese incident and that whole jam band circuit that like that that i think that probably changed financially at least for him oh that's a, a loyal way. fan base man and 100%. every and every third or fourth tune is some charlie parker gillespie you know nugget <laughs> so you're like you always know where you're landing called like a contrafact you mean or, yeah. or just like odes no, like he's he can venture off into this hippie blues thing that's like this Bonnaroo thing mm-hmm. and uh, the that whole jam band circuit, and yet he can go play the four or five hundred seat jazz club, and it's it's sold out every night because they know he can. I've not seen Schofield. I I would like to get the opportunity to, uh, before he and not that he's at any risk of like stopping. He yeah. seems of good health. And he's not super old and fragile looking, but what if he just decides he's done doing I've, that? You know? I've never <laughs> seen him live. I've I've seen a seen bunch either. of stuff on YouTube over the years, and especially over the pandemic. And I'm like, that guy live. I saw Herbie. It. I saw Chick. Yep. I've seen Oz multiple times. I've seen Wayne multiple times. Um, never seen Wayne. Love to see Wayne, man. It's uh, the the first time I saw him here. He was it was the first time using his lineup that he's used a lot lately, which uh, that's not even true because it was Zach Danziger playing drums, but it was Kevin Scott playing bass. And Kevin's a murderer. Oh man, that that was his first literal first gig with Wayne. I think they did like a, a few rehearsals. Was he reading the gig? Um. Not really. Yeah. Not really. I've, he had charts. I've seen cats reading on, on Wayne gigs, which is wild if you think about it. It is. It is. It music. is wild, especially because there's only like, especially in the newer stuff, it's all like loops with cues that take right. you to He's a new like section that oftentimes yeah. is in a totally different meter. <laughs> like he just, every now yeah. and then in the Carlock Lefebvre, Krantz thing, yeah. he'll look at, he'll look at Keith who will like you know give him a, a definite look and then they do something else that seems yeah like, like virtually out of nowhere it's like just a cue for a motif and then and then it's like a conversation based on that motif i love it i love 
like if you if you go back and you listen to or you find any of the recordings of of Wayne Krantz from with Steely Dan in the late 80s where he's wearing like a sleeveless shirt and he's got long hair and he's like playing super aggressively like super he was in Randy aggressive. Brecker's band at the same time well, that's, uh, that makes sense because that's yeah. pretty aggressive yeah, music yeah. as well but like for Steely Dan like Steely Dan's is a lot of things and maybe it's aggressive harmonically but like it's he was more like blues. playing aggressively yeah and and like not as like uh smooth and i don't i don't take that to be a negative word but some people look at it negatively so i mean it and no ill towards steely dan my favorite band but uh generally they sound smoother and like the it was like two years there used to be a video and i don't think it's on youtube anymore i don't know if somebody took it down or what happened but it was wayne krantz playing the outro solo on green earrings with steely dan and i think it was either 88 or 89 he was wearing like a green muscle shirt and it i mean it's it doesn't sound like anything else that i've ever heard him play any of his records (laughs) so it's on a steely dan live record right it's not on a record. It's not before, on a it's record. before Alive in America, which Weird. is Drew Zing playing right. guitar. And, and don't, we don't even have time to go into how much I love that record. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, uh, it's actually probably a good time for me to wrap this up and say, <laughs> um, so you're, are you doing do you, is blood sweat and tears still happening are they just like no i was just with, i was just with them for four months five months uh and then in the middle of 2019 i started playing with terry clark completely different thing oh yeah total I, forgot, stra- I totally forgot about that total strat and telly gig uh i'm kind of recreating Stuart smith um that that guy alone right there brent mason Stuart smith Kenny Greenberg guitar parts. Yeah. Uh, well, really it's, uh, single. It's easy. Si- single coil uh, riffs. You think it's easy, but it's not. No, because, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, no. 100% sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. No, but the parts, when you hear Terry's records, she makes great records. The parts are insane. They're great parts. Uh, super. It's like Keith Richards. Um half clean rolling stones half really super grungy and that all goes and that's cool it's really cool it's a great believe that. fun guitar game i forgot about that i knew you were doing that you did that for like uh like a, almost a year right no no i did it out. for the last half of 2019 so at the front oh, so half of 2019 uh front half of 2019 i was blood sweat and tears back half with terry uh got married at the end of the year to Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Congrats. Hey, baby. <laughs> and uh, we had a great honeymoon, came home, world locked down. And so no no real live gigs. I was supposed to go to L.A. with Loggins uh, uh, in March of 2020, and it went away, in, you know, mm. in the middle of all this. So there have been some live one-offs, but they've been small, smaller, private uh, I haven't done an official, huge, publicized, paid ticket gig outside of small private gigs, yeah, since everyone um, started. You know that social media snafu thing that happened? With? Uh, with our band, The Rise Above? 
No, with uh, I'm trying to figure out a, a delicate way, and I'm just I'm trying to be delicate, but I, I basically just knocked over the whole shelf. Um, uh, the the tribute thing that you did, the TV thing, can you talk about that, Charlie? Uh, well, you know what? I can't. But I said his first name. That's a lot of people. You said half of his first name. Yeah, I said Chuck. Uh, Chuck Mangione is what you know we were what? talking about. I would imagine any day now I'd be getting a AOK sign from the powers that be. Then I tell you what, here's but, what we're going to do. Yeah. Next time when you come back, which will yeah. be soon because he doesn't live that far from me. And it's May. What? Can we even say the date? Are yeah, I don't know what it is. It's May it, is it is May 18th. It's a, it, today yeah. is the day of May. Today's May Day. And the show you just referred to comes out next month at some point. But okay, we well, I'll we tell you what. Made. We'll have you back yeah. after that comes out, and we'll yeah. talk about that, and we'll get into a lot more. I've yeah. decided to keep these at under an hour, and uh, we're right at our cutoff. So, Chris Rodriguez of the Bronx, New York. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. My dude. My man. Check us out, Gear and Beer Podcast on Instagram and YouTube. You're probably watching this on YouTube, but there will be audio versions available as well on all your podcast sites. So turn on your notifications and subscribe. And we got Lyndon McCarty over here twisting and tweaking. And everybody stay hard, keep jamming, and we'll see you. Thank you for listening to the Gear and Beer Podcast. Make sure and subscribe and turn on notifications for us. And if you haven't already, follow our Instagram and YouTube channels as well. We truly appreciate your support and ask that you please tell anyone whom you think would be interested about the Gear and Beer podcast in order to help us grow and keep bringing in great guests from around the industry and beyond. Thanks again. Until the next episode.